Section 11 of Smithsonian Institution, United States National Museum, Bulletin 240. Contributions from the Museum of History and Technology, Papers 34 through 44 on Science and Technology, by the Museum of History and Technology. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paper 38 The Earliest Electromagnetic Instruments, by Robert A. Chipman. Part 1. The history of the early stages of electromagnetic instrumentation is traced here through the men who devised the theories and constructed the instruments. Despite the many uses made of voltaic cells after Volta's announcement of his pile invention in 1800, two decades passed before Orsted discovered the magnetic effects of a voltaic circuit. As a result of this, and within a five-month period, three men, apparently independently, announced the invention of the first electromagnetic instrument. This article details the merits of their claims to priority. The author, Robert A. Chipman, is chairman of the Department of Electrical Engineering at the University of Toledo in Toledo, Ohio, and consultant to the Smithsonian Institution. Electrostatic Instruments Before 1800 It is the fundamental premise of instrument science that a device for detecting or measuring a physical quantity can be based on any phenomenon associated with that physical quantity. Although the instrumentation of electrostatics in the 18th century, for example, relied mainly on the phenomena of attraction and repulsion, and the ubiquitous sparks and other luminosities of frictional electricity, even the physiological sensation of electric shock was exploited semi-quantitatively by Henry Cavendish in his well-known anticipation of Ohm's researches. Likewise, Volta, in 1800, described at length how the application of his pile to suitably placed electrodes on the eyelids, on the tongue, or in the ear caused stimulation of the senses of sight, taste, and hearing. On the other hand, he reported that electrodes in the nose merely produced a more or less painful prickling feeling with no impression of smell. The discharges from the Leyden jars of some of the bigger frictional machines, such as Van Marum's at Leiden, were found by 1785 to magnetize pieces of iron and to melt long pieces of metal wire. The useful instruments that emerged from all of this experience were various deflecting electrometers and electroscopes. The words were not carefully distinguished in use, including the important gold-leaf electroscope ascribed to Abraham Bennett in 1787. In 1786, Galvani first observed the twitching of the legs of a dissected frog produced by discharges of a nearby electrostatic machine thereby revealing still another effect of electricity. He then discovered that certain arrangements of metals, in contact with the frog's nerves, produced the same twitching, implying something electrical in the frog-metal situation as a whole. Although Galvani and his nephew Aldini drew from these experiments erroneous conclusions involving animal electricity, which were disputed by Volta in his metal contact theory, it is significant from the instrumentation point of view that the frog's legs were unquestionably by far the most sensitive detector of metal contact 
electrical effects available at the time. Without their intervention, the development of this entire subject area, including the creation of chemical cells, might have been delayed many years. Volta himself realized that the crucial test between his theory and that of Galvani required confirming the existence of metal contact electricity by some electrical but non-physiological detector. He performed this test successfully with an electroscope, using the condensing technique that he had invented more than a decade earlier, instrumenting voltaic or galvanic electricity, 1800 through 1820. In his famous letter of March 20, 1800, written in French from Como, Italy, to the president of the Royal Society in London, Volta made the first public announcement of both his pile, the first English translator used the word column, and his crown of cups, the same translator used chain of cups, for Volta's coronae de tassis. The former consisted of a vertical pile of circular discs, in which the sequence copper-zinc pasteboard was repeated ten or twenty or even as many as sixty times, the pasteboard being moistened with salt water. The crown of cups could be most conveniently made with drinking glasses, said Volta, with separated inch-square plates of copper and zinc in salt water in each glass, the copper sheet in one glass being joined by some intermediate conductor and soldered joints to the zinc in the next glass. Volta considered the crown of cups and the pile to be essentially identical, and as evidences of the electrical nature of the latter, said, if it contains about twenty of these stories or couples of metal, it will be capable not only of emitting signs of electricity by Cavallo's electrometer, assisted by a condenser, beyond ten degrees or fifteen degrees, and of charging this condenser by mere contact so as to make it emit a spark, etc., but of giving to the fingers with which its extremities, bottom and top of the column, have been touched, several small shocks, more or less frequent, according as the touching has been repeated. Each of these shocks has a perfect resemblance to that slight shock experienced from a Leiden flask weakly charged, or a battery still more weakly charged, or a torpedo in an exceedingly languishing state, which imitates still better the effects of my apparatus by the series of repeated shocks which it can continually communicate. The effects provided by Volta's pile and crown of cups are therefore electroscope deflection, sparks, and shocks. Later, in the letter, he describes the simulation of sight, taste, and hearing, as noted earlier, but nowhere does he mention chemical phenomena of any kind, or the heating of a wire joining the terminals of either device. Hence, except for the additional physiological responses, he adds nothing to the catalogue of observations on which instruments might be based. His familiarity with the moods of the torpedo, the electric eel, seems to be intimate. The reading of Volta's letter to the Royal Society on June 26, 1800, its publication in the Society's Philosophical Transactions, in French, immediately thereafter, and its publication in English in the Philosophical Magazine for September of 1800, gave scientists throughout Europe an easily constructed and continuously operating electric generator 
with which innumerable new physical, chemical, and physiological experiments could be made. Editor-engineer William Nicholson read Volta's letter before its publication, and by the end of April, he and Surgeon Anthony Carlyle had built a voltaic pile. Applying a drop of water to improve the connection of a wire lying on a metal plate, they happened to notice gas bubbles forming on the wire, and pursued the observation to the point of identifying the electrical decomposition of water into hydrogen and oxygen. Within two or three years, innumerable electrochemical reactions had been described, some of which, one might think, could have served as operating principles for electrical instruments. Although the phenomena of gas formation and metal deposition were in fact widely used as crude indicators of the polarity and relative strength of voltaic piles and chemical cells during the period 1800 through 1820, and the gas bubbles were made the basis of a telegraph receiver by S. T. Summering, the quantitative law of electrolysis were not worked out by Faraday until after 1830, and not until 1834 was he satisfied that the electrolytic decomposition of water was sufficiently well understood to be made the basis for a useful measuring instrument. Describing his water electrolysis device in that year, he wrote, The instrument offers the only actual measurer, italics his, of voltaic electricity, which we at present possess, for, without being at all affected by variations in time, or intensity, or alterations in the current itself of any kind, or from any cause, or even of intermissions of actions, it takes note with accuracy of the quantity of electricity which has passed through it, and reveals that quantity by inspection. I have therefore named it a Volta Electrometer. In passing, Faraday commented that the efforts of Gay-Lussac and Thenard to use chemical decomposition as a measure of the electricity of the voltaic pile in 1811 had been premature, because the principles and precautions involved were not then known. He also noted that the details of metal deposition in electrolysis were still not sufficiently understood to permit its use in an instrument. The heating of the wires and electric circuits must have been observed so early and so often with both electrostatic and voltaic apparatus that no one has bothered to claim or trace priorities for this effect. The heating of the wires and electric circuits must have been observed so early and so often with both electrostatic and voltaic apparatus that no one has bothered to claim or trace priorities for this effect. The production of incandescence, however, and the even more dramatic combustion or explosion of metal foil strips and fine wires, has a good deal of recorded history. Among the first to burn leaf metal with a voltaic pile was J.B. Tromsdorf of Erfurt, who noted in 1801 the distinctly different colors of the flames produced by the various common metals. In the succeeding few years, Humphrey Davy, at the Royal Institution, frequently, in his public lectures, showed wires glowing from electric current. Early electrical instrumentation, based on the heating effect, took an unusual form. Shortly after 1800, W. H. Wollaston, an English M.D., learned a method for producing malleable platinum. He kept the process secret, 
and for several years enjoyed an extremely profitable monopoly in the sale of platinum crucibles, wire, and other objects. About 1810 he invented a technique for producing platinum wire as fine as a few millionths of an inch in diameter that has since been known as Wollaston wire. For several years preceding 1820, no other instrument can compare the strengths of two voltaic cells better than the test of respective maximum lengths of this wire, that they could heat to fusion. One can sympathize with Cummings' comment in 1821 about the difficulty in soldering wires that are barely visible. Electrical Instrumentation, 1800-1820 through 1820. The twenty years following the announcement of the voltaic pile invention were years of intense experimental activity with this device. Many new chemical elements were discovered. Beginnings were made on the electrochemical series of the elements, the electric arc and incandescent platinum wires, suggested the possibilities of electric lighting, and various electrochemical observations gave promise of other practical applications such as metal refining, electroplating, and quantity production of certain gases. Investigators were keenly aware that all of the available means for measuring and comparing the electrical aspects of their experiments, however vaguely these electrical aspects may have been conceived, were slow, awkward, imprecise, and unreliable. The atmosphere was such that prominent scientists everywhere were ready to pounce immediately on any reported discovery of a new electrical effect to explore its potentialities for instrumental purposes. Into this receptive environment came H. C. Orsted's announcement of the magnetic effects of a voltaic circuit on July 21, 1820. Orsted's Discovery Many writers have expressed surprise that with all the use made of voltaic cells after 1800, including the enormous cells that produced the electric arc, and vaporized wires, no one for twenty years happened to see a deflection of any of the inevitable nearby compass needles, which were a basic component of the scientific apparatus kept by any experimenter at this time. Yet so it happened. The surprise is still greater when one realizes that many of the contemporary natural philosophers were firmly persuaded even in the absence of positive evidence that there must be a connection between electricity and magnetism. Orsted himself held this latter opinion, and had been seeking electromagnetic relationships more or less deliberately for several years before he made his decisive observations. His familiarity with the subject was such that he fully appreciated the immense importance of his discovery. This accounts for his employing a rather uncommon method of publication. Instead of submitting a letter to a scientific society or a report to the editor of a journal, he had privately printed a four-page pamphlet describing his results. This he forwarded simultaneously to the learned societies and outstanding scientists all over Europe. Written in Latin, the paper was published in various journals in English, French, German, Italian, and Danish during the next few weeks. In summary, he reported that a compass needle experienced deviations when placed near a wire connecting the terminals of a voltaic battery. He described fully how the direction and magnitude of the needle deflections varied with the relative position of the wire 
and the polarity of the battery, and stated, From the preceding facts, we may likewise collect that this conflict performs circles. Orsted's comment that the voltaic apparatus used should be strong enough to heat a metallic wire red-hot does not excuse the twenty-year delay of the discovery. Beginnings of Electromagnetic Instrumentation The mere locating of a compass needle above or below a suitably oriented portion of a voltaic circuit created an electrical instrument. The moment Orsted's effect became known, and it was to this basic juxtaposition that Ampere quickly gave the name of galvanometer. It cannot be said that the scientists of the day agreed that this instrument detected or measured electric current, however. Volta himself had referred to the current in his original circuits, and Ampere used the word freely and confidently in his electrodynamic researches of 1820 through 1822. But Orsted did not use it first, and many of the German physicists who followed up his work avoided it for several years. As late as 1832, Faraday could make only the rather noncommittal statement, by current I mean anything progressive, whether it be a fluid of electricity or vibrations or generally progressive forces. Nevertheless, whatever the words or concepts they used, experimenters agreed that Orsted's apparatus provided a method of monitoring the strength of a voltaic circuit and a means of comparing, for example, one voltaic battery or circuit with another. It was perfectly clear from Orsted's pamphlet that if a compass needle was deflected clockwise when the wire of a particular voltaic circuit lay above it in the magnetic meridian, the same needle would also be deflected clockwise if the wire was turned end for end and placed below the compass needle without changing the rest of the circuit. Anyone perceiving this fact might deduce as a matter of logic that if the wire of the circuit was first passed above the needle in the magnetic meridian, then folded and returned in a parallel path below the needle, the deflecting effect on the needle would be repeated, and a more sensitive indicator would result, assuming that any additional wire introduced has not affected the circuit excessively. Since 1821, historical accounts of the origins of electromagnetism seem to have limited their credit assignments for the conception and observation of this electromagnetic doubling effect, or multiplying effect if the folding is repeated, to three persons. Almost without exception, however, these accounts have given no specific information as to precisely what each of these three accomplished, what physical form their respective creations took what experiments they performed, and what functional understanding they apparently had of the situation. The usual statement is simply that a compass needle was placed in a coil of wire. The main purpose of the present review is to recount some of the details. End of section 11.